Hello, this is the HSJ Health Check podcast. I'm your host, Annabelle Collins, and this week I'm joined by HSJ correspondent Nick Catuno and Roger Klein, research fellow at Middlesex University Business School, consultant on workforce culture and author of several reports on race equality in the NHS. On this episode, we're talking more about a letter sent last week by Steve Barclay, who told integrated care system chairs to stop hiring equality, diversity and inclusion roles. We'll cover what may have prompted this controversial letter, the response, the impact getting rid of EDI roles could have on the NHS and more. But first, Nick, could you kick things off with um, just some of the key points from the letter? What did Steve Barclay say to ICB chief execs? Yes. So late on Thursday of last week, uh, Steve Barclay sent out a letter to ICB leaders in the context of these uh, cuts to staff headcounts and making efficiency savings to ensure that uh, integrated care systems are leased to control totals and their financial targets and so on. But he particularly talked about the rate at which NHS organisations were hiring to roles specifically dedicated to quality, diversity and inclusion. Now, it's not a secret that Steve Barkley is not particularly a fan of these roles. It's been made quite clear in the past. The NHS is also aware of this and the people who are in these roles are, are well aware that he doesn't think that they are particularly useful or, or particularly cost efficient. But what changed was what he said later in the letter was that he wanted ICBs to review with a view to seize recruiting to these roles in NHS organisations now it wasn't a demand it wasn't like this is a mandatory thing but it was a request that for the for the most part took a lot of people by surprise it took a lot of people uh off guard it was sent late on the thursday evening and was eventually published uh in international newspapers quite shortly afterwards but the the rate at which it was picked up was quite dramatic on social media because as soon as it was published you had NHS leaders coming out to express their, their quite their surprise their, their, their sort of disappointment in some in some quarters at, at how it was published and also very quickly onwards from that we saw a very swift response from the NHS Confederation and NHS providers and indeed NHS England. Uh, NHS England actually came out quite quickly with their own response from their chair Richard Meddings, who basically reiterated what the Messenger Review found when it was published, which was to say that EDI roles do have a role in in helping carry out the in basically have a role in reducing discrimination seen in the NHS and making sure that there are equal opportunities for staff and and all the other things that have been brought up in the past that the NHS has seemingly not been able to grasp. Um, so the fallout from it was quite strong. It was quite swift from NHS England, I think in part because they were, again, taken by surprise and not probably not informed beforehand that Steve Barclay was going to do this. And we've just seen over, over the last few days how this has sort of reiterated the stance that Steve Barclay has um, against EDA roles and how 
the NHS is, is once again had to confront this this continuous conversation about the place of EDA roles and whether they whether they um, make the difference that that they're supposed to make. It's an ongoing debate that continues and continues and continues and never seems to go away. Although it, it seemed to me that although the, the letter was a surprise to many people, the sentiment within it wasn't as surprising. I think Steve mm. Barclay's focus on efficiency and productivity, that's been a trend throughout his time at health, as health secretary. And it mm. kind of tapped into the, I suppose, inverted commas, kind of culture wars mm. kind of rhetoric again. Um, and bring, bringing Roger into this. Roger, I want, I'd be interested in your views. Um, what, what did you think of the letter? Well, what struck me about the letter was uh, here's a health minister, health secretary is coming to the end of his fixed term contract. It's the dying days of this government. It was a bit of red meat thrown to the Daily Mail, but he had sent a similar rather vaguer letter to the NHS in May. But I think most mm. organisations just filed it under junk mail. I think this is more serious, but um, he had no statutory powers over uh, EDI in the NHS, which is why it was a sort of more of an exhortation than um, an instruction. And actually, I suspect he may have done the cause of equality in the health service a bit of a favour by flagging up an issue which he's got such significant pushback on that it's suggested to me, I think as Nick um, was flagging, that the last two or three years, perhaps particularly Black Lives Matters and the Me Too movement, there is an understanding that EDI is not an optional extra, but it's something that is actually quite central to culture in the NHS. And Roger, you've worked with, with many trusts, I know, on their EDI strategies, I believe. Um, how, for how long has have um, standalone EDI roles been recruited to in the NHS? Is, is this quite a new, a new thing? So I think, uh, yeah, lots of organisations have had some kind of standalone role for certainly as long as I've been um, involved in equality in the health service, which is a decade now. But I think what's changed is, first of all, there are more. I think they're in, their role is seen as rather more important without there always being clarity from trusts as to what their role should be. Um, and the reason the reason that you see it as more important is because there's been lots of evidence in the last few years that getting hold of you know, getting on top of equality, diversity, inclusion and psychological safety are pretty central to improving the culture within an organisation. And there's lots of evidence if you improve the culture, you're going to have better outcomes and more effectiveness. Unfortunately, Steve Barclay, I suspect, doesn't read any of this and therefore doesn't understand that equality is pretty central to what uh, what needs to happen. So EDI roles, um, I think, have picked up on that issue. I think the discussion that needs to happen now is they're really important. But what's the best way in which to use the passion that many of the EDI uh, role, uh, EDI kind of experts have? Because I'm not sure at the moment it's used as effectively uh, as it should be, but perhaps that's another discussion. I just wanted to jump in there and touch on something that was reported by the Daily Mail shortly after the, the letter was published, is that it seemed to, according to Daily Mail, it was prompted by this role 
that was advertised by the University Hospitals of Birmingham Trust uh, for Director of Equality and Diversity Inclusion and referred to the salary of up to £96,000 and so on. But I think this comes back to, and Roger may want to jump in here as well, but it comes back to me about the, the understanding of what these ego roles are and what they function as, because it would be wrong to assume that these are all just all one monolith or just one one role that they just span like yeah. they're just highly paid people who just do like one certain thing and then that's it they're shoved into a corner it's they vary between trust and trust they they perform to different functions they collaborate with other departments and other people in different ways to say that they're all just you know people paid however much high salaries is is wrong and it obviously does not encompass the wide range of ways of that trust do incorporate EDI into their strategy and it does a disservice in a way to the people who are making those differences in different ways be it small be it different sizes and that's why it's such an easy line to grab at someone who is paid x amounts of money they're clearly not a great way of, of spending money so on and so forth but it's it's ignoring the the people who are in those roles on lower bands or even any bands who are making that concerted difference a specific area that has been flagged up by trust or in a national report as such as the res for trying to level up those opportunities for everyone for advancing career opportunities for reducing discrimination and so on. Just wanted to make that point. So so if just to add to that, if I may. If we take the post in, in question, it's a trust, it's a huge trust, 22,000 people in one of the most diverse cities in the country. It's just had a major culture review because key issues were identified, many of them related to equality, diversity and inclusion in the organisation. The reason the post was advertised was to help to get a grip on the, the, those issues. If you, it, it's an 8D, as I understand it, it's an 8D post, and I don't know quite where that is, but I'm confident that the that the trust will eventually proceed. Um, and uh, you need expertise. If, as Steve Barclay says, well, you don't need any dedicated posts, uh, it's everybody's business. What that actually means is it ends up being nobody's business. You wouldn't, if it was safeguarding or health and safety, uh, or data, not expect that there be experts as well as it being everybody's business. So I think it's just a bit of red meat thrown to the Daily Mail. That post, I'm assuming, will have a very important role in improving the culture in the organisation. And that's something that nobody could really argue about. Although it you know, may, may well be kind of red, red meat, as you say, thrown to the, the Daily Mail, what impact do you think this sort of this sort of letter saying stop recruiting to these roles has on people working in those roles. Do you think it makes them feel undermined? I wonder about the the impact on retention as well. It just seems that if you're if you're in those roles trying to do that job, trying to make a difference, it it just seems like you might kind of go to work feeling like you don't have the the support of your of your ICB or of your trust. I think. Uh, so if I go first, I think. If the health service had caved in to Steve Barclay and had agreed 
in some ways to stop recruiting to such roles. I think it would have been very demoralizing, would have made it very difficult for the organizations that are really committed to this. It was very interesting. A number of chief execs came out very publicly and said, we're going to carry on doing this. That's pretty unusual when, when the Secretary of State says something. So I think he's actually done the done equality, diversity, inclusion in health service a favour because people have had to come out and say, actually, this is useful. Uh, we need these roles. Um, mm -hmm. Had he had that not happened, I think it would have been a real body blow to the work. But I'm actually a bit of an optimist now. I think, right, OK, uh, the health service, including NHS England, has finally stood up to someone who has a, um, how shall I put it, a rather robust reputation. Um, and uh, it'd be very difficult, I think, for him to follow that up because he's got no statutory power to say what the NHS should do about health and safety, about, sorry, about, about um, equality. Nick, did you, did you want to come in there? Yeah, the, the thing that I would add is that, again, it's, it's, it's the latest in, in what we've seen from Steve Barkley in terms of his thoughts about, about these equality diverse inclusion roles and, and in this search for greater efficiency. Um, I think the impact will be, as Roger said, interesting in, in seeing how leaders have come out and publicly supported their staff, the, the staff who are carrying out these roles. But it does now continue to feed into the question of how do we, how do we, as I say, I say that as, as if, you know, someone is in that role, how would someone in that role be able to um, demonstrate why they are so important? And I've, I've just noticed in the time that I've been covering this, in the years that I've been at HSA, the, the shift in tone that has gone from sort of the moral and social justice aspect to the financial imperative. We are all very aware of the, the financial um, problems that, that trusts and, and ICVs are, um, have and the financial pressure they're under, the, 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 the targets they have for A&E and elective care and so on and so forth. But in that time, it's, it's, the shift has changed from we have this, this moral and social imperative to we can actually aid in reducing you know, the financial burden on trust. We can help make those efficiency savings because our role has a direct impact on those key areas that the NHS is struggling with. And if you go back to the NHS Confederation's response as, as quickly as, as it came out at the first time um, we saw this letter, you could see in their response that they said something along the, the effect of we need to remind Steve Barkley or we need to find a better way of, of showing Steve Barkley that uh, these <coughs> roles have uh, an important um, role in the NHS. I think I, I can read it to you now. We clearly need to do more to assist Mr Barkley's understanding of the contribution that focus on equality and diversity makes to our staff and patients. So that I think in a nutshell encapsulates the the kind of I want to say challenge, but the, the kind of task that that people in these roles and, and indeed leaders who of massive organizations who have these roles have to then um, to make sure that this this isn't a continued recurrence. Because as uh, 
you mentioned, you know, what impact does this have on retention? You may well recruit people to these roles, but if they leave within a year and the trust is still struggling in this aspect, how much progress are you really going to make against, you know, programs like the REST, like the WDES, and so on and so forth? Because those indicators might start falling back once again after mm. however many years of progress you may have made against them. So to add to that, Annabelle, um, I think there's two there's two strands that um, need to be really clear in the sort of public discourse around this. The first one is that discrimination costs money, not just immediately in terms of cases like Michelle Cox, but more generally, um, it impacts on your ability to recruit and retain uh, people. It discrimination affects the health and well-being of staff, uh, particularly BME staff, but other staff too. It undoubtedly contributes to, again, particularly BME staff um, working as agency staff rather than substantive members of staff. So there's an impact on staff. There's an impact on organisations because it does affect things like turnover. Uh, and crucially, there's an impact on patient care. There's lots of evidence. For example, Francis 2015 Speaking Up report reported quite striking differences between the ways in which black and minority ethnic staff were treated when they spoke up and the way in which white staff did. They were more likely to be victimized, less likely to be listened to, more likely to be thought of badly if they did so. Um, if we have, if we don't have inclusive teams, they will not communicate and collaborate so well. People will be more reluctant to raise concerns, less willing to admit mistakes. There's a whole research base around this. So the cost is not just the kind of efficiency cost of jobs that um, Steve Barclay talks about, it's effectiveness. Health service organisations are interested in effectiveness. And if you undermine equality and look the other way on discrimination by not having what the research says you need, which are experts and clear governance and accountability, the cost of the NHS will be very considerable, even if some of it is quite hard um, to measure. So there's no doubt there's a very good business case for having EDI reps, as well as, if you like, the social justice and the moral case, which we should not uh, lose track of. That does lead into the discussion about, so what exactly should the role of EDI reps, EDI officers going forward be? But yeah. principle, is this is a really important subject that is the heart of the NHS going forward. I'd like to touch on that more in a, in a minute, Roger, but just for, for listeners who aren't familiar with Michelle Cox. She is um, a nurse, I believe, from, from Liverpool, who was employed by the NHS EI commissioning unit as a continuing healthcare manager. And she won a, a landmark race discrimination case earlier this year. Um, and I'll, I'll link to that article for, um, on our website in the episode notes. Um, but yes, Roger, I'd love to pick up on that point you made about the future of EDI roles. Um, how how would you like to see them, them developed? Um, in the NHS? So I think I think um, Nick described earlier how the roles have sort of developed, but I think they are, um, they've, they've been primarily made, uh, filled by very passionate, 
thoughtful people, but their role has been very much around compliance, doing equality impact assessments, risk assessments, doing reports, giving assurances to boards. I think now the job has to move to a significant degree and become around improvement. So it becomes much more of, a, if you like, an organisational develop OD role. Um, and I think there are trusts, well, I know there are trusts who are now thinking through what does that mean? Because at the moment, they're on the whole, poorly paid. There's no clear career structure. They mm. don't always have the authority uh, they should have. If you can move them more, more towards an improvement role where they're the people who are able to say, look, the reason why we seem to have a bottleneck here on recruitment is X. And this is what the research says you could do to improve it. And there are organisations starting to do that similarly with discipline and so on, then I think they it will be easier for um, trust to um, tell Steve Barclay where to put his letter. And I think it will be more obvious what the, the benefit of it is. But if, if you could move away from being primarily compliance to being also around improvement, I think that's where it has to go. I think there's probably a willingness to do that. But it does mean organisations have to put more support into them, create career structures and training and think through what's the relationship between EDI staff and HR and OD more generally, but also the health inequalities staff, because uh, discrimination in health provision is a big issue that health, uh, that EDI roles also seek to address, but they need more support around improvement on that too. Thanks, Roger. And um, I wonder, do you, do you think the NHS has been vocal enough about, um, I suppose, promoting these roles and and saying, look, there is a weight of evidence. They do make a difference. They are important. I I think you raised a really good point, Annabelle. I mm. think uh, some trusts have been very anxious around the issue, haven't properly understood it. I think. Uh, I'm not party to the conversations, but I suspect NHS England has not been as robust with Steve Barclay as they could have been on the issue. You can see that in some of the decisions that have been made. Um, I think that um, I, I think Black Lives Matters and the Me Too movement did change that to a significant um, degree. But I think now just as people are getting a better understanding of inclusion and psychological safety, they have to they have to be really upfront and direct. Next time, every time ministers raise this as an issue, there should be a public response. This is the first time that I'm aware of where NHS England has said to Steve Barclay, we don't agree with you on this issue. It's mm -hmm. not the first time he's spoken about it. And I think as, as Alistair McClellan, HSJ editor, kind of wrote at the end of last week, he said that Mr. Barclay humiliated NHS England by issuing these direct instructions yeah. to ICBs. Yes, I, mean, I think that's, if I was if I was Amanda Pritchard, I'm not, but if I was Amanda Pritchard, I'd be seriously cheesed off that mm. he's contacted the Daily Mail before he's contacted her. So I think that's probably given them the opportunity to say what some of them, some people in NHS England probably wanted to say anyway, which is actually, this is not acceptable. These people are important. But I do think NHS England needs to think through what its role is, because out in the trusts, uh, its reputation on EDI is not as high as it could be. 
which I think is um, something that is probably recognised, needs to be worked upon. But yeah, we need to be more, we need to respond to these things, not leave it to individuals like like me, frankly, to respond. It should be a direct response from the top of the tree saying, actually, this is important. This is why. And, you know, we've got more important things to do. Remember, this is a Secretary of State who's failed on every single one of his goals, waiting lists, industrial relations, staff vacancies. He's picked up this issue. He should be told, stick to your day job. This is what we're trying to focus on. And I think Richard Meddings was trying to say that to him. I think I'll add that the to interesting this credit, this the speed with which they responded was quite important because if they hadn't responded as quickly as they did, then they would think that people would feel that they did not yep. think that these roles were as important. And they would have sent a message that they kind of tacitly agreed that these roles probably do need a review. So to their credit, but that's after previous numerous stories that we've seen in the past about the spend on quote unquote woke warriors and the wokery and, and that continuous pervasive line that is continuously being put out that has of course undermined a lot of these people in these jobs that are doing it to make a difference to the staff in, in the workforce to the people on the front lines and the people who feel that they are being discriminated against or who feel that they are not having their voice heard, who feel like they can't advance properly throughout the organization um, so that is to their credit, but it is after previous times where people have said, why haven't NHS England spoken up soon enough? Why haven't they said anything? Why haven't they kind of backed us? So that that is an interesting thing that I did notice. Uh, and Richard Medding's response is quite robust and quite clear. And as Alistair alluded to, um, you know, if Amanda Pritchard is is quite serious about this, then she will privately or otherwise make clear that this is not, you know, something that we that we appreciate and needs to, you know, make sure where the lines are drawn. And this is mm -hmm. quite an important ground for, for that because as you can see from the leaders' responses, a lot of them do feel that this is an important area that cannot just be ignored. And and as you also mentioned, the, the Black Lives Matter movement, Me Too and so on, has meant this the culture has changed to a point where this is not something just can really just turn around and reverse track on. They've already made so many sort of stands so far. I, I remember back to when Simon Stevens was uh, chief exec and he committed to increasing the proportion of staff from ethnic minority backgrounds um, up to 19% or, or something similar to the, to the level of the workforce at the time. Of course, that's grown since then, but it's that kind of uh, target setting that has changed that might not have seen 10, 15, 20 years ago. And similarly, the, the statement that came out when, when Black Lives Matter was at its peak. So there's no real sense to me that this is going to change anytime soon. So NHS England seems to sort of caught on to that quite quickly. I, I'd agree. I think I think a very foolish letter, both in, in terms of its content, but also how it was put out. And I, I think actually it's done a favour to work around equality in the health service. I think NHS England's response was good um, and hopefully that's what they'll do in future. I think that's a, a good note to wrap up today's discussion. It's been a really interesting one. Thank you both very much um, for joining me. But 
just a reminder for listeners, our podcast is available every week on our website and wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to get in touch with us if there's something you'd like to see us cover or if you have a question for our team. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Thank you.